Hello again, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Scarlet Nation podcast. We're talking UMass Review and Iowa Preview. Uh, this is Bobby Darren coming to you with 24-7 Sports. And with me again is the one, the only, the unmistakable, the legend himself, Brian Doan. You, you had me until you said legend. Everything else was right. <laughs> one and only, thank goodness. Unmistakable, thank goodness. Legend, now we're getting crazy. <laughs> Well, I figure every week, I you know, I did a big intro in, in last week, so I have to keep following up with something better. Um, I'm, I'm going to have to, you know, really reach into my bag of tricks by the end of the season. Well, let's just hope we have people still listening by then. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Brian, as always, a pleasure. Thanks for joining us. Um, for those of you who don't know, if you've been living under a rock, Brian Doan is a national recruiting analyst for 24-7 Sports, uh, has a vast history covering Rutgers football, one of the most, um, one of the, I say the best recruiting guy in the whole country. So um, it's a pleasure to have you. Brian, let's just jump right in. Rutgers defeats UMass 48-21, was a little hairy at the beginning. Um, what's your takeaways from that game? Uh, <laughs> they did what they were supposed to, and I know people get all, you know, wound up and everything about they were down early, and, and it just comes down to a couple of missed tackles which you can't have, but, you know, quick adjustments were made on the defensive side, moving a guy inside. Uh, they moved Lamore outside a little bit and moved him around, brought the linebackers in a little tighter. They did what they needed to do defensively, and, uh, you know, it doesn't matter. You know, everybody's wondering who's calling the defense, who's calling the defense. Chris Ash is running the defense. Let's, you know, you, you can tell just based on what, what goes on. And then offensively, I thought John McNulty had a great game. Um, you know, really move the ball around, spread UMass out where the Rutgers could use its speed. And I came out of that game for the first time, and I was, you know, people were asking me, what do you think, what do you think? For the first time, I came out of it in a while thinking, all right, that's the step you wanted. That's what you wanted to see. I really don't care about 21-7 because new staff on UMass, there's some things that had to get ironed out. But even when it was 21-7, I said, you know, my wife said, oh, look what's going on. I said, yeah, this isn't a problem. I said, Rutgers will still blow them out because you can see what was going on. Um, and But but I think it, it gives you hope, not only for Iowa, but for moving forward for the next month. And Yeah, you know, Brian, I, I saw something, too. Is there was more speed on the field for Rutgers, more playmakers. Um, the way Raheem Blackshear accelerated, UMass didn't have anyone like that. And I think that's a little reminiscent of the way Rutgers was when Chris Ash took over and you saw them play in Michigan. Rutgers was the UMass without that speed. And they're starting to get a little more playmakers. Um, I guess your thoughts on Isaiah Pacheco, Bo Melton, Raheem Blackshear, and just the overall uh, amount of playmakers on the team. Yeah, I think, you know, first of all, you have to realize that Rutgers had more speed than UMass, which is great. I mean, I don't know if you would have said that last year against Texas State, and we always go back to Texas State because it's a really easy reference point for what was wrong with, with the team last year. Um, but you look at Bo Melton, and it wasn't like he was running some drags across the middle, but he made a, he made a really nice catch. He was a fourth down catch early in some traffic where he sat in the middle. Uh, he used his speed to get deep, which I thought was a key aspect for Rutgers. And I think when you have a guy like Bo Melton who can run behind the defense, it's then going to soften some things up for guys underneath. And I'm of the belief that Raheem Blackshear is a guy who you want touching it 12 to 15 times a game. I don't think he's a feature back in the true sense of 20 carries. You want to get him in the slot and do some different things with him, match him up in space. 
And then Isaiah Pacheco, um, look, he should have caught the ball down the sideline. It was a brilliant throw right on the money that if you're going to beat a team like Iowa or even Maryland or Boston College, you better catch that. Um, you have to. But other than that, I thought he had a good game. I thought they did a good job picking up the blitz. And to be honest, um, you know, the quarterback didn't get hit. And we can we can talk about a lot of different things, including his his ability to rebound from just a terrible interception on the first drive to where you can hear the whole stadium go, all right, here we go again. Let's go. <laughs> and, and then to rebound, and he made some really good throws later in the quarter. Um, you know, so they showed some mental toughness from that aspect and the ability to bounce back. But, you know, we talked about it before the game, Bobby, and, you know, we used the North Tech, I mean, the Texas State game as barometer of how much Sikowski got hit last year. And, claim didn't get hit at all mm-hmm. i mean you know the only time he hit the ground was when his center stepped on his foot right right and you know i i think uh you mentioned mcnulty and and also that fourth and two play and i thought it was interesting on that series they threw it on third and two and fourth and two um Last year, I'm not so sure McNulty slings it in those situations. You know, I think they're just trying to run the ball and get those couple yards. And, and that kind of showed me earlier the earlier in the game the confidence that he has in McLean Carter and this offense and the ability to stretch the field. Um, how much of a dynamic does that uh, present for this offense? And, and how much better do you think it could be with those long passes? Yeah, I, I think um, doing it against UMass is one thing. Doing it against Iowa and its secondary is going to be something else and will be more of a challenge. Uh, Bo Melton looked more comfortable catching the ball down the field. You know, he was never a guy that was going to track the ball great and, and watch everything into his hands. But he, he did a lot better. And, and I think you'll see it. And I think, you know, one of the keys of it is Iowa now has to be aware of the deep ball, which opens up some stuff underneath. I think Alamo could be a really good tight end after watching him. And I think he could be a really good weapon in the offense and a reliable one, not like somebody who, let's just say last year, didn't feel like playing anymore, so seemed to be injured all the time. Um, But for me, I feel like there's more diversity in the offense. You have the tight end. You got, you know, Bo Melton go deep. Um, Davon Robinson, I would have liked to seen him targeted a little more. That's okay that he did, and I feel like he can have an influence. The running backs, if you can get Blackshear out of the backfield, if Pacheco can catch the ball a little bit, uh, that helps out a lot. And, and look, you have to look and you say Melton and Robinson, they had great games blocking too on the perimeter. And then even in the fourth quarter, when you watch Karon Adams run, you know, the guy I was sitting with uh, watching the game, he's like, wow, look at this kid go. And it's the fourth quarter, and you realize that Rutgers has some depth at running back. So, I think you hit it right on the head. I think they have more playmaking ability. I'm not ready to say that now they have bona fide playmakers because, again, it was UMass. But they they did show some things that really made me interested moving forward. Whereas, in, you know, last year you knew that, well, it really didn't matter because they didn't have those players. And I think now they do. And you know, even Mo Javi had a good game with getting open and, and getting a little separation. It just tells you what maturity does and what being, you know, older can do for you in terms of having success. Yeah. And I'm glad you pointed out Alamo. Um, I wasn't expecting him to look that 
Um, I, I don't want to say polished because he's still a redshirt freshman, but he, he looked like a, a seasoned receiver when he caught the ball out there. It didn't look like it was his first time playing a game of college football. Um, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. He could really be a weapon in this offense. Yeah, and, and I look at him, look, he's a great athlete. He was a really good baseball player in high school. Um, when you look at what happened with him close to signing day, remember, he was committed to Pitt, didn't sign early in his class. Then it was A&M, Auburn. Florida, UCLA, all involved. I mean, those are some pretty good programs. Run up going to UCLA, got homesick, came home. Um, he's a good tight end, and, and I watched him play a number of times in high school. I know Sean Brown watched him play a number of times and liked him a lot. Uh, and what you really like is he's big and he's athletic and he's thick and he can, you know, he's got the body to block. He can catch the ball. He can move after the catch. He can be an inline guy. I think as he gets more comfortable, you could probably put him in the slot, get him out wide. There's a lot of different things that you can do with him that really makes this interesting. Yeah, and, uh, you know, it's going to be exciting to watch him move forward and his development and progression. Um, that being said, let's move on to Iowa. Um, you know, like you said, a tremendous upgrade in competition. Iowa disposed of Miami of Ohio 38-14 last week, but they were only up 10-7 at half. Um, is there anything we can read into that, Brian? Uh, my, you know, not really. Miami, <laughs> you know, came into it. They're a good team, good Mac team. Um, they always put scares in. I, I think, you know, if you're Iowa, are you really getting excited for that game? A little bit like Rutgers, are you really getting excited for UMass? I mean, yeah, it's the opener. You want to go play, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you know, these kids know what's going on, and they can read the names on the schedule, and they understand. I don't think there's much to read into it. Um, if you look at Iowa, traditionally, I, I think they're a physical team, and they're a team that has, always a good running game. Um, they make just enough throws to, to keep you honest in the passing game. But it's going to be physical when Rutgers goes there. They get to go into the infamous pink locker room and enjoy <laughs> that. But, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Iowa did its job, right? I mean, mm -hmm. whenever you're playing MAC teams or, or, you know, group of five or one double A, it always comes down – to depth and when you look at the depth that i would have you just wear them out i mean in essence that's what rutgers did to umass in the second half when they just ran the ball they just wore them out and so that's what that's what iowa will do and that's what i was going to try to do to rutgers right and, and you know you look at them if you watch them on film it's not a team that has the playmakers of ohio state although they do have a good running back uh sergeant i, I checked it's no relation to keith uh, just in case you were wondering, all right. But well, no, he's good, right? <laughs> Sarge, I kid. Sarge, I kid. <laughs> so we were joking about that at practice the other day. But uh, you know, was that after the cat scared you or before the cat scared you? That was after the cat scared. Okay. That, that cat tried to come in the trailer the other day where we work. For those of you who don't know, there's this cat that hangs around underneath the stadium, and I swear it's like possessed by someone. I don't know. I'm just well, that's because you keep eating those sardine sandwiches waiting for practice <laughs> when you're sitting in that cramped trailer where they treat you so well. You know what? I just got home from practice. I had a bison burger. I made it on the grill. It doesn't taste any different to me. I, I don't know what the big deal was about bison. Did you ever have one? Yeah, yeah. It's more lean, not as fatty. It's better for you. Um, it's got more texture to it. I think like a thicker texture. 
I'm a foodie, so if you're going to start talking about food, I can go on for hours. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. I was expecting more out of it. I just threw it on the grill real quick. We made something, and I came came into the office, and, and uh, here we are. But um, I'm sorry. What were we, we were talking about Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> something like that. Something about <laughs> Iowa. Okay, Keith Sargent running the football. No, but um, – <laughs> so uh, – they, they, you know, Iowa's strength is the big guys up front on both sides of the ball. Um, you know, is Rutgers going to be able to handle that? I mean, are they going to be able to to hold its own in the trenches? How much of an upgrade have you seen? Uh, I know McLean Carter didn't get hit last week, but offensive and offensively and defensively, are these lines good enough to play with Iowa? Uh, no, I mean, I, I, don't, I mean, I don't, I don't think whether they're good enough to play with Iowa. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't matter over the long haul. It just matters for this day if they are. And I think defensively, it will be a battle for Rutgers. I think Chris Ash is going to have to be creative with some of the run fits, especially from the linebackers. The linebackers are going to have to have good games. You mm-hmm. cannot have um, Olakunle Fadakazi missing a tackle and having some dude running 40 yards for a touchdown. You mm-hmm. can't have Hayes coming off the corner and missing a tackle and a dude running for a touchdown. You can't have you know, Avery Young popping off after they're supposed to be getting off the field and getting an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have to, they're going to have to be creative up front with some twists, some run gaps, and they're, they're just going to have to play better at the point of attack because mm-hmm. Iowa's going to try to pound them. And then when you look at Rutgers offensively, you know, UMass did try to blitz, so the communication was better with knowing what the assignments were from the offensive line. But I get the sense, if you watch this offense and, and what they want to do, I get the sense that there's going to be a lot of misdirection. They're going to try to get some guys in space. You're going to try maybe to get Blackshear in the slot a little bit more. You're going to try to do a lot of different things um, just in terms of mitigating how long the offensive line has to block for. Um mm-hmm. And maybe you run some draws and some screen passes to slow them down. But you know, this is big. This this is the step up you want to see. You played UMass so you can work out the kinks. And now you're going to see what kind of progress this team has made. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just, I you know, the hope is they don't come out and pull a Kansas from last year to where it's a no-show. Right. So if you're a Rutgers fan, you want to sit there and say, okay, what's realistic? And what are you looking for? And we talked last week about progress. And the progress, yeah, you want to go to Iowa and win. Let's, let's be honest, if you're Rutgers, that's the goal. But you want to see how you measure up physically and how you and how your speed measures up with Iowa. And I think that's a couple of things. And it starts, you know, it always starts at the line of scrimmage, but this is a really good test at the line of scrimmage because Iowa is a physical team. Boston College, their next opponent, is a physical team. Okay. I guess, you know, getting out without injuries is important too, uh, considering, you know, offensive line. I don't know where they'd go with. I was considering they have no depth. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, some positions are a little more, but, you know, yeah. I, I was talking to Noah Joseph today at, at practice, and he said they're going to play uh, four different safeties and kind of work guys in. Do you think that's a good idea, or, or do you want to just stick with somebody? It seems like they're still feeling out some guys at certain positions. You saw a lot of linebackers being used last week. Uh, are you a proponent of that, or, or do you like maybe sticking with one guy through the majority of the game? Well, so there's a couple things that you take into consideration. I mean, if Jared Paul plays the way he did in the first quarter at Iowa, you're going to be moving safeties anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, you just got it has to be better. Um, 
you know, it, it's 50-50 because it's early in the season. You know fatigue can become a factor in fourth quarters as guys still get their game legs into them. You mm-hmm. need to get experience for guys. I don't like the flat-out rotating of guys in the secondary, but I also understand it may be needed. If you have a 10-play drive against you, and then your offense goes three and out or you know maybe five plays and out, and you're back out there for another eight plays, you're going to have to get some guys in there who aren't tired. You look right. at the D-line, and, and that's the way college football is now, is rotating eight guys on the D-line. And I think it's important to be able to do that in the secondary and at linebacker on defense. Um, you know, offensively, you can do it with some receivers. But yeah, I, I don't have an issue with it as long as there isn't a huge drop-off and as long as, you know, if some dude's having a great game and you're still going to pull him because, well, that's what we said we were going to do. Mm-hmm. I'm not really into that stuff. I'm, I'm more into just going how the, the feel of it. But, I mean, you know, if you're going to sit there and, and pull a guy for a series because he needs a rest just to keep him fresh for the fourth quarter, yeah, that's cool. I have no issue with that. Okay. And, and Brian, I wanted to ask you a recruiting question because we've been talking about some players, uh, McLean Carter, Matt Alimo, uh, you know, transfers. Rutgers got from an unconventional route. You know, uh, you saw Drew Singleton playing last week. Uh, from a recruiting perspective, how much has that changed the recruiting game for coaches? And I guess, how much do you think it's benefited Rutgers? Yeah, I, I think, well, I'll, I'll do the Rutgers one first. So far, you would say it's a benefit because they basically have two starters there. You know, your starting quarterback, which is what this program hasn't had in how many years a, a guy you can count on. And, and I, I don't know if you can count on him, but after one week, it was good, but it's one week. Right. Um, and so now other teams have film on him, what he likes to do, what Rutgers likes to do. So there's a lot of that to it. But yeah, it benefits him in a huge way, at least for them it has, because if you look at offensively and you're going to start 11 guys and two of them are transferred, well, that's pretty good. You know, you know, yeah. that's that's sizable. Um, and so it's a good way to go. Now, the flip side of it is how does it change recruiting? Well, it, it changes it in a big way because all of a sudden you have to, as a coach, you have to make sure the backup is still happy because now all of a sudden he's going to just throw his name into the portal and, you know, you feel like he's going to get eligible right away regardless of the circumstance. Um, if he's not a grad transfer, if, he's a, if he is a grad transfer, he can play right away. But So you have to take care of guys on your roster in a little different way. And then you also have to save scholarships. You know, Rutgers could have taken another two or three players and signed them in February of the last class, but instead they decided to hold on to it you know, hold on to a couple slots so they had him. You bring in, you know, Drew Singleton, who was, you know, obviously came in the winter. Alamo came in the winter. Then, you know, the, the, the quarterback from Texas Tech comes. Mm-hmm. You were supposed to get Ron Johnson, and Lord knows what that fiasco is. <laughs> um, but, you know, so, so you're talking about four guys right there. And so now when you head into the next offseason, it's okay. Who's going to – who can we get – what position is he? Do we have to save scholarships? And the key thing with Rutgers is, you know, were they being diligent in how they did it? Alamo left UCLA not because he wasn't any good or wasn't playing, because he was homesick. Right. Drew Singleton left Michigan, and 
they thought he was going to factor into, if not being a starter, he was a two-deep guy at Michigan. So he had value there. It wasn't like he was being pushed out. You know, again, the quarterback, he, you know, he, he was a starter last year, gets hurt, doesn't get the job back. So he's like, okay, I need to find somebody, something else. Um, and so he winds up at Rutgers because he then picks his spot and says, okay, who need, where can I really go win a job at a higher level and, you know, with Rutgers and McNulty, you're talking about now a guy who's in the NFL and knows a lot of pro concepts and that's part of the offense. So it made sense for him. So it's got to be the right fit for Rutgers to go out and take a kid like that. Mm-hmm. But you, you can now restock a program through the transfer portal where you couldn't do that two or three years ago. And now I'm curious to see what the NCAA does, if there's a fix. And also how many kids go into the portal next year because there's a lot of them that were 1A kids deciding to go into the portal and did not find homes or, or drop down a level or two. And, and yeah, that's one thing I wanted to ask you as we bring as we wrap this up. You know, you were ahead of the curve. You told me before all these guys were getting waivers. That's the direction it's going. Is there any signs that that, that this is going to change or or it's going to be a, a open market for a couple of years? Uh, well, what's kind of your prediction? Did you hear anything? Well, it's not a prediction because I I, I think something's going to have to change, but I'm not sure how it's going to take place. Mm-hmm. But when I talk to coaches and when I talk to administrators just about what's going on. The one thing I keep hearing is there may just become a blanket rule of when you transfer, you sit out a year and then the schools will decide, no, we are not going to challenge that to get the kid eligible right away. Mm -hmm. Now that takes a lot of um, cooperation Mm -hmm. and it means when some coach is four and eight and he's on the hot seat and he can bring in a stud, that he sits there and says, okay, no, we're going to stay with what our agreement was and not challenge to get him eligible. Uh, I, I think something has to happen because, you know, I always look back at, you know, and I, and I talked to our, our Penn State guy, Sean Fitz, who just does an outstanding job covering them. And, you know, Penn State lost a lot of guys last year through the portal. And if you can only sign 25 a class and then you have, you know, eight guys leaving from a school. Well, wait a minute now. Your your balance is way off. Mm-hmm. And if that happens over a couple of years, that really can change things. And I don't think the NCA has really looked at that aspect of it. And so it opens up another can of worms. I think something has to happen because unless you're the poor kid at Virginia Tech who you know, his mom was sick, so he left Coastal Carolina to go to Virginia Tech, and they denied the waiver. Unless you're him, it feels like everybody else got a waiver. Mm-hmm. Um, and so something has to get done about that because you have it, it's almost like free agency. Mm-hmm. But the problem with the free agency is the people giving these kids advice have no clue what they're doing in some instances. Right. Sort of like, yeah, you need to transfer. Mm-hmm. You'll get better. You'll you'll have a better chance at school B. And then they go put themselves in the portal and nobody wants them. Yeah. And we've seen that time and again. And the lens of objectivity gets kind of uh, obscured sometimes when people oh, are there is none. players. The, yeah. the problem is there is none. The, the, the ability to be honest to the kid is really lacking in, in many instances. And so these kids are called places and you're like, 
what is going on here? Why is that kid transferring? Yeah, it's uh, you know, it, it's definitely changed the uh, the entire scope of recruiting. I guess a little more exciting. A li- it, it's changing, and and that's why you have to stay up on it every day on twenty four seven sports. <laughs> yeah, I mean, hey, look, recruiting is. It, I, I love it. it. It's it's fun. You meet great kids. The stories sometimes are sensational. Sometimes the wackiness um, that goes with it is interesting. I love some of the kids understand how to play the game. And there's some kids that like to troll people on Twitter. And then there's others that just don't really want to say much. I mean, it's really fun to watch the inner workings of it. And it really, I mean, it's something new every day, which it makes the job just sensational. All right. Well, Brian, once again, thank you as always. Great insight. Um, you can, you know, uh, ask Brian questions on our 24-7 sports message board. Uh, go to the roundtable, scarletnation.com. Brian's also on everybody's boards answering questions, um, you know, just just full of insight and knowledge and, and scoops. So, Brian, thank you once again, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Hey, man, thanks for having me as always. Thanks, Brian.